Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? It's good to be with you, Andrew. Love the in-studio shows. So do I. Just love them. Um, do you know what else I love is the way our listeners are so forgiving. Oh. I did a Twitter space last Thursday. Thanks to everyone who joined. It was a lot of fun. We hope to get you on sometime soon. The next one I will- Stop end- planning them in the middle of the workday. All right. Okay. Um, but they were very forgiving about your 22 gaff. I want to say right now, it's the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> I've done a lot of bad things on this podcast. All right. I've said some dumb things that yeah. even that I'm sure people who listen to this podcast have forgotten about. They, I've said things on this podcast that I now feel were so dumb, they keep me awake at night. All of those things pale in comparison to the stupidity of having a whole segment dedicated to great number 22s and completely omitting Christian Pulisic from the conversation. I thought about it later. I didn't revisit it. And it was all the abuse that we and I received (laughs) uh, was warranted. Uh, And I want to thank all of you for the vitriol (laughs) and the venom because it was deserved. And it's how we learn lessons. So, yeah. I don't know what happened. I know what happened. You thought about it briefly. You didn't put your usual level of planning into it. You no. also went to a website called Sports Hole. No, I mean, I, it was some kind the, of blog. The, yeah, Sports Hole it was called. Was it? I think there was a hole involved somewhere anyway. I mean, I mean, if I see a reputable website, it won't have hole or anything like it in it. And you just you just went off and like, you told me two seconds before we hit record, which we never usually do. I, you- I spring things on you, trivia, things like that. It's not a, that rare of an occurrence. Trivia is fun, though. It is fun. As you much you as didn't it- have any fun with the 22s. No, none whatsoever. But uh, as we learned in the previous podcast to that podcast, I am numerically problematic. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, it's not a math show, all right? Numbers. But this podcast will be much better. I'm really excited for this podcast. There's so much to talk about. Um, I know you have been, you've been downright giddy over the FA Cup in a way that I mean we've always we have never really dismissed it in the way that a that a, in the way that a lot of people have over the last several years. I mean we've always given it its its due. There's been elements of it that you know we've always appreciated. We've we've been very keen with the the magic of it all. Oh, people love that. Um, so. I don't know. You, you've taken it to even a different level, it seems it like. It just felt different. Uh, we'll talk with, with our guest about this, um, who you're going to you're going to love. He's a regular now at this point. And I, it felt different. Sometimes I feel like the FA Cup has an element of forced enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's the tradition. You get to see the small teams. It's been going 200 years. You know, all that stuff. But... It didn't feel like that. It felt real. Uh, At the weekend, it felt fun. I would agree. I would agree. I, I think some of it probably had to do with fans being back in stadiums. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but last year for the FA Cup, a lot of those matches, like Tottenham and Marine, yeah. I think was... There was people watching from their from, backyards. Right, but I don't think people were allowed in. Like, there weren't tickets sold for it. No, there was only a... I mean, Wembley wasn't even full for the final yeah. um, for Leicester City's win. But at, at the same time... Um, you know, this just, 
it felt like an antidote to something that's going on in football right now, or to maybe multiple things that are going on in football right now. It, it felt like a palate cleanser. We'll talk about that. Guy Mowbray, by the way, is who JJ was referring to. He will join us a little bit later in the podcast. It's great to have access to one of the most recognizable commentating voices in the UK. Um, I wouldn't say whenever we want, but he's he's a regular he's guest. He's great. Now, uh, his, our conversations with him are just kind of like, they're just sort of free. I almost go into him with no plan. Like, he's that guy. He you is can, sportshole.com you can, for you. But you can just kind of run anything by him, and it's just like a fun soccer conversation. So he's great to talk with. So we'll do that shortly, uh, talk a little more FA Cup and some other things. I'm sure we'll get into England. I know his obvious, he's English, his affinity for them and the summer that they had and where they're headed, all that stuff. Uh, should be a good conversation. Second leg of Chelsea and Spurs was earlier today, went about as... Well, as I had expected, I don't know about everyone. That place was buzzing. Like the atmosphere at the start of that was was something. And By the it, end, what would you call it? Flatlining? Uh, yeah, I mean, that game was over for a while. So, yeah, it's tough to keep up that enthusiasm when you know what's what is inevitably coming. So we'll do a little of that. You got a nice mailbag here, JJ. I see. Red card man of the match is back. I can't wait for actually both of mine. I feel really good about. We have some African Cup of Nations. Yep. Chat certainly do. But we begin in Saudi Arabia for the Spanish Super Cup. Which is all fine and completely normal. The semifinals. I actually don't... We we do talk a lot about um, too much football. And by all means, the Spanish Super Cup expanding to a semifinal round into a final, it applies fully to that. But I will say it does make this feel a little bit more like an event as opposed to being an exhibition to me. You mean it justifies going to a foreign well, I'm country not talking to do about that? Even where, wherever they want to do it, I'm just saying adding the semifinal round. When I look at it, I'm like, ah, do we need it? But once the once it starts, it does feel like a mini tournament that has a little bit of gravity to it. Well, Raúl García, who will be playing for Athletic Club in the second semifinal tomorrow, he had this to say: Maybe I'm old school, but football has changed, and the fans have been forgotten. Football now is all about making money and finding sponsors. We are forgetting the basics: the atmosphere, families enjoying games together or kickoff times that suit spectators. It's changed a lot since I started playing. This should be in Spain. It should be in Spain. It should be. There's no fans there. Well, there are fans But there. they're not fans. They're, they're people from that country that are... Well, uh, careful, like, you're talking to a lot of Americans right now who consider themselves diehard supporters yeah, of teams and, that play abroad. Yeah, and I consider them intelligent enough to know the difference between this and what's happening now. But to now. say that those people aren't fans, I believe that there were people there who... who desperately love Real Madrid and Barcelona. I'm sure they do. Fine, but, but that but that is not right, Andrew. I agree. That game should be those games should be played in Spain. Uh, yes. I would agree with that. Let's talk about it because it was a thriller. I mean, this was uh, an excellent game. I I thought it was a f- it, it was Oh, here we go. No, do you it, like anything? Yeah. <laughs> You do this all the time. You're negative about a lot of good, fun stuff. No, it's nice to be nuanced and not just go in with this, like, Pollyanna view of the world. Apologies. The Classico that ended 3-2 in extra time was an average game, everyone. Apologies. It was puttering along to a 2-1 until, for some reason, and it may turn out to be their Achilles heel at the end of the day, uh, and and when when everything comes down to it in May, uh, somehow Real Madrid didn't mark Ansu Fati in the box and he got a header off. Mm-hmm. Now, that shouldn't be happening, Andrew. Then we have an equaliser, it goes into it goes into extra time, and I think the, the correct the correct result was achieved. Madrid winning. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they're the better team. I mean we've that's bore itself out over the course of the season. Uh, Real Madrid now unbeaten in their last Eight Classicos when scoring first. That first goal is proven to be vital, although we did seesaw a little bit today, but they never they never lost the lead. It was tied up a couple times, but they never lost that lead. Um, 
Vinicius again scored the opener. He continues to climb the ladder, JJ, of world elites. He is he's he's a fast riser in that category right now. Benzema scoring as well. Benzema's eleventh goal in El Clasico history, seventh most in for Real Madrid all time. Fun game. Fun yeah, game. No, no, it was it, it overall it was a fun game. I, what was strange to me was, and I wouldn't dare doubt Derek Ray, but his conclusion to the game was to say that that was the hundredth classical win for Real Madrid. That's, Strange why. I just, I found, first of all, that it was their 100th classical win was in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. And, and, and secondly, strange that it just seems like such a lot of wins. It, uh, no, I'm, I'm not doubting it. They play each other plenty of times, of course. It just, it struck me, that's all. And it also struck me that Real Madrid get it at this time when Barca are not what they used to be. Uh, yeah, we, um, I mean, let's go right into that, actually, because that was kind of, what was most interesting to me is is the whole dynamic of what Barcelona are right now. And look, we see what Real Madrid are doing. They're flying in the league. I know they had the little hiccup recently, but I think you know, in terms of Barcelona specifically, who are further down the table, but what's Real Madrid? 17 points above where Barcelona are? Yeah. So these teams are meeting at an interesting time, certainly in each of their histories. One seems to be on the ascent. The other one seems to be Barcelona in the place that they're at right now. Um, and so I was wondering about the way this game went. Barcelona coming de- coming from down a goal on two separate occasions, getting this game to extra time, really battling. I mean, really making a game out of this uh, against the great Real Madrid side. And I just wondered to myself when it ended, is that a moral victory for Barcelona? And at first I felt weird because I was like, it's Barcelona. Like, they don't have moral victories. It's demeaning almost to imply that. But I don't know. I, I kind of felt like if you're a Barcelona supporter and you've been down in the mud for essentially the last six months, year, maybe longer, if you want to go back to you know the, the Bayern Munich thrashing that they received, uh, that you could probably exit this game and take something positive away from it and say, that's a good Real Madrid side. We've got a new manager here who we feel good about. we got young players. We showed that team that's going to waltz to a league title that we're not as far behind them as they may have thought we were coming in. You are 100% correct. And not only is that the feeling you got, that's what, Pique said to our Alexis Nunes at full time. Now, I don't know if it's the way Alexis phrased the question in a friendly manner, but he answered that, yeah, I was very proud of the team. I thought we played very well. A sense that there was a lot to take from this when ordinarily in the course of the last, what would you say, 20 years, defeat to Real Madrid is just defeat. Absolutely. There's no... There's no, there's s- no such thing as a moral victory in the last like you said, two decades of Barcelona. But because of the, I mean, can we even call it a rebuild? I guess the the, att- the attempt at a rebuild that's happening now, uh, this is seen as and viewed as, hey, that's not so bad. And that was the immediate reaction of the captain after the game. This is not a sense that we're getting. That's what he said. So, you know, Barcelona's recalibration of where they're at, they are at continues. I mean, like you said, 17 points. It's stark. Uh, Sevilla are in second place five points off Barcelona to be that far back is is crazy it's absolutely it, it, you look at the table and you keep thinking there's an error here somebody has made a mistake right. somebody has looked this up on sportshole.com yeah. that's what's happened but it's not can't trust them no uh, yeah and you know I was reading a lot of the pregame material that ESPN FC ESPN FC had a, had some great pregame coverage beforehand with all you know Sam Marsden, uh, Sid Lowe, 
Graham Hunter, uh, Alex Kirkland. There was a whole write-up on on where these teams are going, and I forget which one of them said it, but they made an interesting point that, and this is this is I, I can't necessarily factor in transfers that are going to be made and things like that. I'm kind of assuming that Mbappe is going to wind up at Real Madrid, Barcelona. I'm not so sure, but it is interesting that this could even itself out quicker than it might appear right now because Real Madrid, you know, they they do have some of their key players are are up and around 30, over 30, Luka yes. Modric, you know, Benzema is kind of in that category. And they do have younger players as well. Vinicius is obviously world-class, like we talked about. But, you know, Barcelona have this this group of youth, this this young core that is coming up together with a manager who they seem to believe in, who's kind of learning on the fly, who's getting some decent results early on. And, you know, there's reason to feel good about that. It just feels like once those guys start to hit their prime, when they get to 21, 22 years old, and this group of Real Madrid players that we've known for so long are, are starting to maybe phase out, this could, we might be, it might still be two, three years away, but this could get interesting quicker than how it feels right now. Like if we look at what, you know, we've talked about the Manchester United-Barcelona comparison, how Manchester United feels like just no matter what they do, they can't get back to where Manchester City currently are. I don't know if I feel like, it's going to be that way for that long between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Possibly. I, I think the economics of it are going to mean that... Well, they think they can get Holland. Who who thinks that? Barcelona. Oh, Laporta said that. Yeah. They're back, remember? I, I, yeah. I mean, I thought we just called that risible and decided to forget about okay. it. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it stuck with me. I don't, I don't see it. I actually think if the economics continue in the same vein, neither of these teams will have... Once this generation, your Bush gets your PK and your Casemiro, Benzema, Cruz, once they, they move on, I was going to say off this mortal coil. They're not, they're not going to die, but when they move on to the next life of, oh my of, God. of football, oh. retirement, Andrew, I was trying to be too flowery about it. But when that happens, um, I, you know, you better believe that Barcelona will hope they're in a better position in terms of their youth because the economics mean all the good players will be in England. They won't be in Spain. They won't be available there. So there won't be the same kind of draw towards these teams if things keep trending the way they are. So Barcelona may have the advantage in that they've got these young stars coming through. The economics may be so bad, though, that they have to sell them. We, we don't know. I mean, that is still a possibility that some of these players... Will, like, for example, the sense of, you know, are trying to extract any sense from, from Danny Alves' return and jettisoning Sergio Dest outside of economics. There is none. And I don't care if um, Xavi feels as if, well, you know, maybe, or people are saying that Xavi feels there's a defensive issue over him or, you know, this is crazy. This is a 38-year-old against one of the best young players in the European game. And mm. Dest is. This makes no sense except... We need to plug a hole here. We need to get Fern Torres registered. So we have to rob Peter to pay Paul and get rid of this young talent. And if that model continues, Andrew, Barca will still be nowhere. Well, but conceivably, they'll recoup money. Like, the, like you'll, you'll get something for Serginio Des because he's a young player. You'll so get, at some point, yeah, like they will... Well, 40, they will 40 million to cover, but it's covering Torres. You know, they'll be in this constant cycle of trying to stay ahead of of the financial rules in Spain, and they'll stagnate that way. The Holland thing is interesting 
and this is probably a conversation for like the summer, but whatever. We're we're talking about it now. So you know, because like I said, I'm under the impression Mbappe's going to Real Madrid, and nothing's stopping that. So everybody, wrap your minds wrap your minds around. By the force of will of two men, that will happen. It'll, Mino Raiola and Florentino uh, Perez. Correct. It'll happen. So yeah, you know, I was reading beforehand, and you know, this idea of okay, how can Barcelona pitch themselves to Holland in this moment where Barcelona appear to be in a low ebb? And the pitch, essentially, that Barcelona are going with is is this idea of, you know, look at what the rivalry of Messi and Ronaldo did to those two legacies. Like like a Magic Bird-type rivalry. Like if Magic and Bird were on the same team, if they were both Lakers, if they were both Celtics, there's no rivalry. There's no, like, that tradition is, is lost and gone, and it's not fun. Messi-Ronaldo as a rivalry, like, it, it added to both players' legacies and, and the, the aura around each of them. So be that to Mbappe. Mbappe Holland, the same age, same position. Be this, bring this rivalry, individual rivalry, back to these clubs, and that's kind of Barcelona's. I mean, pitch Spa- right now, Spanish. So. Well, it's Spanish football's pitch. That's what a, <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of people, um, I'm sure, Tobias would love that. But um, how how does this work? How financially? Financially, I don't know. How, I have no idea because. But I didn't think that they could afford sixty million for Ferran Torres. But they can't. I mean, we know they can't. But they're doing it. They're figuring out a way, and they still have to figure out how to jettison someone to get him in. Like, how much will the rest of the team suffer? And again, we should be saving this for the summer. But let me finish on this point. How much would the rest of the Barca rebuild suffer by this guy's wages, Holland's wages alone? I just. Manchester City seems like a a more likely landing spot. Would you believe it? Manchester United is a, is a more likely landing spot, I think, economically. Should mention, by the way, that Ferran Torres did play today, so he's he's with Barcelona. He's a player for them. I, I'm I'm sure that someone still has to go out for those books to be balanced. I'm convinced of it. And I'm sure they'll they'll figure it out somehow, some way. But congrats, uh, congrats to Real Madrid. They're into the final, awaiting. Um, Awaiting their opposition. That's correct. Awaiting their uh, possibly athletic club. You don't know. Uh, let's continue to another semifinal that was played earlier today. Second leg, Chelsea and Tottenham. And it is Chelsea who go through 3-0 on aggregate, 1-0 on the day. Uh, JJ, here's a stat for Chelsea fans. They'll sleep well at night hearing this one. This is from Opta. Four. Chelsea have been responsible for 24% of Spurs' defeats suffered at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium since they moved to the ground. Four out of 17. Indeed, Spurs are winless in all five of their meetings with the Blues at the venue. One draw, four losses. Dominant. Mm. 24% of Tottenham's defeats in the stadium have come at the hands of Chelsea? That's crazy. That's not, it's not a nice, A quarter is of it? them. No, it's, it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's great for Chelsea. I mean, if your rival has done that to you, I'm sure Chelsea fans, they, they, they're going to inject that stat right into their veins listening to this podcast, especially with it coming out of my mouth. Um, here are my big takeaways from this. I, I'm glad you have some because I started watching it. Rudiger scored. I stopped watching it. I watched the other game. Smart. And I think I made the right decision. Now, you, there will be some things that you'll have missed. Um, but don't don't even bother. But I have to bother. No, with no, please. I am, my whole life is a bother. <laughs> uh, here are my takeaways from this one, JJ. The first one being this, which we already we already knew. Chelsea are are better. There, uh, Conte can come in. Kane can still be at Spurs. You know, and I know Tottenham were missing some real key players today. Son was out. Uh, Eric Dyer was out. They were missing some guys who who matter. But the fact remains, 
I mean, Chelsea are defending European champs. Like, I don't care what sort of recent bump in the road they had that's caused them to fall out of this title race. I think they've lost only once in their last 24 games. Like, they're still Chelsea, and they're much better than this Tottenham side. This Tottenham side under Conte is just not ready. They're not there yet. They're still a work in progress. Now, keep keep that in mind as sort of the baseline thought here as I go through this, because... There's a hard lesson to be learned when you are the inferior team to the opposition that you're playing, especially in a tournament format like this, is that like Chelsea are better than Tottenham, but they didn't play them off the pitch. The problem for Tottenham is when you're playing against a team that's better than you in a tournament, you're not good enough to overcompensate for mistakes. Like when Manchester City are playing in a Champions League or or in a cup competition, like they're great in these cup competitions because like they can make a mistake and they can compensate for it by then scoring three. Like Tottenham aren't that team; they don't score a lot of goals. When they make mistakes against teams that are better than them, they're done. And so look at the plays that beat them over the course of these two legs. It wasn't like beautiful tic tac toe passing from Chelsea. It wasn't. No. It was none of that. It was the goalkeeper flying out and missing the ball. I mean, in the first leg, it's Jaffa Tanganga with a a bad pass. He's caught out of position. Davinson Sanchez poor defending in front of goal. Chelsea up one nil. The second goal from the first leg, pinball header from Hoybier off of Ben Davies's head into the goal. Like mistake today. Uh, Chelsea's goal. You know, Gallini comes flying out for a corner kick. Whiffs. I don't even know if Rudiger knew the ball was going to get to him. It looked like it just kind of accidentally hit off of him and went in. Mm. Mistake. You can't do those things when you're the worst team. Even when you're the better team, you can do those things, you get burnt by it. But if you're the worst team that doesn't score a ton of goals to begin with, even on your best days, can't do it. And so once again, the lesson that's been taught thousands of times before, Tottenham learned it once again here. Don't make dumb mistakes, and you'd be surprised how far it can take you. And unfortunately for them, and to Chelsea's credit, uh, that's how this one will be remembered. Dumb mistakes. Is there a is there a slight leveling off from our early optimism with Conte? No, not, you for say? Me, not for me. I mean, look, yeah. A, a the, tro- Southampton, the Southampton performance was well, very... Or, sorry, the Crystal Palace performance. It was good. Yeah. The, the problem is for them, definitely their last... Four, maybe you could say their last five under Conte haven't been good. No. Both of the games against Chelsea were not good. Morecambe. The FA Cup against Morecambe was not good, even in, in a 3-1 win. Uh, before that, their uh, performance against Watford was not great, even though they got out of there with a win. You could go back even to one before against, was it Southampton? That was kind of like so-so. Mm. Um, so they're they're not playing great right now. And I think Conte is trying to figure out who he can win with. You know, we can talk about Tangi and Dombele. Um, you know, so he's he's trying to feel this team out. They had a huge COVID problem early on uh, in his tenure, which probably stunted some of his, you know, training sessions that he would like to have. So many guys not there. He's he's learning this player. These players are learning his system because uh, it's different than what they've been doing for the last I don't know, <laughs> fifty years. <laughs> like it's just different. So I'm not surprised by it. And uh, as long as they can remain in the race for top four, that's really what the season is about. A trophy would be great for Tottenham. Obviously, it's not going to come courtesy of this tournament. They still got the FA Cup, but they got to just kind of learn this manager. He's got to learn them, who he can rely on, who he can't. And then you hope that once you get into kind of February, mid February, they hit some kind of stride. Um, but they got to stay healthy because they're not deep. We're learning that. You know, once you get out of the, the 12, 13, 14 guys, you go deeper than that, It's there's not a ton in reserve. So, I don't know. Um, we'll see. We'll see. 
But it, this didn't crush me. No, it didn't. I could tell. You didn't really even mention it when I came into the studio, so that's that's something. should say for Chelsea, um, Antonio Rudiger. Now, look, I've had my issues with him. He's not always my favorite player. No, you called him King House. He can be an S-stirrer. There's no question about it. But, look, when a guy's playing well, he's playing well, and you got to hand it to him. Uh, I saw these stats. I think it was from Squawka. Another, uh, I only rely on the most. No, I think they they got a blue check mark. All right, Squawker so, are legit. Yeah, they're legit. They are not sports finger. <laughs> but listen to these stats today from Antonio Rudiger uh, in the second leg. Uh, pass accuracy of over ninety six percent. That was best of anyone. Eighty seven touches, most three interceptions, two aerial duels. One that was most two shots, a clearance, a block shot, a chance created, a tackle, and of course the winning goal. They, they, be, they got to lock him up. They could do with signing him up. They got to lock him up. I'm not sure it's going to happen, though. I don't know. Um, I don't know either. They seem to be continuing on with sort of a positive disposition about it, but it's all posturing. This is all negotiations. Who really knows? Um, so there's that, JJ. I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's go from that now, from the Carabao Cup, from one one cup competition. <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about now the other one, the more magical variety with the the nicer noise yeah certainly yes not as jarring sound (laughs) um one of our favorite guys like i said to speak with on this podcast been on a couple times before and each time the conversations have just been so much fun um you hear him on the premier league world cups champions league fa cups anything anywhere where soccer is happening he is there guy malbray back on the program now guy what's up man how are you i'm good i'm good happy new year everybody hope everybody's well yeah, same to you, same to you. So to start out, uh, I was just kind of scrolling through your Twitter, and I wanted to ask you, what is Wordle, and should I be doing it? Oh, I, I, it's just the last couple of days. I heard about it on the radio. It's just a, it, it's a word game, basically. So when I'm walking the dog in the morning, I just think, oh, I'll, I'll log on, have a look at that. You've got to guess the five-letter word in fewer than six goes. It's all I've seen on Twitter over the yeah, last, I'd say, the last week. It's exploded, and I haven't. It's one of those things that'll be very popular for five minutes, and everybody will forget about it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, <laughs> uh, let's dive in now to the real stuff. Uh, we were just talking about the FA Cup, and I'm so curious for your perspective on the FA Cup. Uh, yeah, the Premier League, we know what it is. It's just such a force, not just in England but globally, it, and it feels like it's impacted some of these other domestic tournaments. So to you, I mean, what, what is the state of the FA Cup right now from a prestige perspective? I, I actually think it's coming back into much better health. Okay. Um, and it's a shame that it was ever treated almost as a second-tier competition by some of the clubs over the years. If you look at the, most of the teams at the Premier League teams and indeed quite a few championship clubs who might be chasing for promotion, if you look at their lineups over third-round weekend, most of them went pretty strong. Um, with the COVID situation, probably in most cases, as strong as they could do, um, which is which is really good to see. Uh, I was really impressed with Manchester City doing that on Friday night. Um, I got a little bit of um, social media queries from people because I, I, you know, I said I'd covered the game and they had limited options. They did have they they only had so many fit and available players, so they put out the strongest. They could have easily fielded a team of kids, and they didn't do it. So what do you mean Manchester City have limited options? They've got blah, 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 blah. They were limited in terms of which team they could name for the game. They could easily take the easy option of going, we'll just put kids in. But they didn't. They went with those available and played them all and did the job. Um, and other teams have done that as well. Um, and I, I, I just like to see that because it is still, 
you know, you, you grow up in this country, it, it is the competition. If, you, if you're my age, and sadly I turn 50 next month, um, you know, that was it. That was the be all and end all. You won, you won domestic live game a season in my early years growing up was the FA Cup. And it's the same for people around, around the world, isn't it? The one English game they used to watch was the FA Cup final, uh, which was the best day of the year. It was, it was Christmas Eve, birthday, everything all rolled into one. It was easily the best day of the year. And third round weekend is not much further behind. That, that's, I love the third round weekend. So I, I, I was really enthused by it. I thought it was a really good third round. We had some upsets. Um, the only disappointing thing, roll on the fifth round because the fourth round draw is a bit of a shocker. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing of too much interest there. No, there's a lot. There seems to be a lot of strong teams at home. Yeah, which which you don't really want, and I would have had no objections to to the FA doing a little bit of jiggery pokery with the balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. That's a slippery slope. <laughs> it is um, a slippery slope. Let's not go down yeah. that road. But, but I have like, heard people say actually that in the Bundesliga, the, the German Cup, the, the the bigger teams play away as a matter of course in mm. the early rounds, and I heard some people saying it, it should be the case, but I'm not so sure. I think part of the beauty is the free draw. It's just as exciting as the games sometimes, and yeah, you get a bad one sometimes, you get a good one other times. And you look at it, you think it could be a classic fifth round if, if, well, if the ties go as we think they might. Well, absolutely. And Cambridge, if you look at what they did at the weekend, you're, you know, and they did it at St. James's Park. Yeah, there's I, no guarantee. I'm, I'm curious, Guy, though, because um, particularly when I was living at home and I can almost plot the years, I would say certainly after Manchester United pulled out in 2000, didn't mm. defend their trophy, that... And I'm not accusing anyone in the media, but I certainly felt from from the BBC in particular, um, there was a sense from commentators and from pundits, let's push the FA Cup. Let's tell people this thing isn't dying. Let's tell people, you know, the, the phrase, the common phrase that came out was try and tell those fans that the FA Cup has lost its luster. And I felt a lot of that. And I felt it was like pushing against an inevitability. But this weekend, I didn't feel that. And I'm just wondering, no. is, is the FA Cup in in its differences in the fact that we get to see different teams learn a little bit certainly in this country about other parts of england about the the football pyramid is this like almost the perfect antidote to what we've been served up for yeah. maybe the last few years like relentless manchester city um you know the super league just back in the spring is this almost like a palate cleanser for football fans well it is it is yeah it's it's football as it should be, you know, the competition starts, what, the very start of August, you're looking way, way, way down the pyramid for the first the first ties. Um, you know, any clubs able to enter the FA Cup and, and, and get things going in the early rounds, the, the qualifying rounds, preliminary rounds or whatever they're called. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's it's the most democratic competition, as we've seen with the free draw as well. It's, it's yeah, the big boys don't come in until the third round. Mm. Um, the first round's always fun. We, we enjoy covering it. I, I take your point. I think there was a determined push, um, possibly because it was the one bit of you know domestic football that we had live on terrestrial TV. That's um, true. After 1992, you, know, you weren't able to see any top-level league games. Um, so, yeah, there was a bit of a push. And I think it's worked because I think people now are invested in it again. I, I, and it is part of the joy. You're right about the antidote thing because part of the joy is going to the low league clubs. One of my favourite um, games of last season, without a doubt, it was a difficult season, obviously with the lockdown and sparse to, to no crowds. Um, but the tie at Marine between Marine and Tottenham in the oh, third yeah. round was, was brilliant with people watching from the back gardens and 
yeah, that, that, that really did bring a flavour of, of what it meant. And, and by the way, huge, huge cash boosts to these teams that haven't got a, a pot to pee in. You know, it, it really, it really does. It, it, it's, it's, it's life-changing for clubs at the lower levels. I just wish my home club, York City, could just endeavour to get back in the first round one, once, just once, sometime in the next few years. We got to the semi-finals in 1955 and were robbed by Newcastle. We've got a proud history of beating Arsenal in the 80s. And yet, because of the, oh, that, I won't start. You're still dwelling Damn, on that, that 1955 sham, defeat. Shambolic football club, really is. There we uh, are. Guy, you mentioned before Manchester City and you know them being somewhat limited in their options uh, playing on Friday because of COVID and fitness. Uh, the idea of, of COVID and how it should be handled and, and postponing matches or trying to play through, it, it's been one of the great controversies of the season. I, I'm just generally curious for what you believe is – I guess the right way to be handling this. I, I, I would back the Premier League in, in doing what they're doing. They, they have their protocols and procedures. And if they feel that the game can't take place, because what you've got to bear in mind, my, my own personal take would be get on with it. You have mm. squads, you have under 23s play. Um, when else do these under 23s get a chance to play in the first team as well? And you never know, it might be, I'm thinking back to 2016 when this was a totally different set of circumstances, but when Manchester United had no fit forwards. And Louis van Gaal had to throw Marcus Rashford in from nowhere. And he became a star. I mean, it's unfortunate to see him playing so poorly at the moment. He's in, he's in a bad trot. But at that time, he became a real star. Um, and he, wouldn't, he possibly wouldn't have got the first team anywhere near it for another two, three years, if at all. Um, so he, he got his breakout. He was given a chance. And so I'd like to see that in these, in these difficult circumstances now. I'd like to see the games just going ahead and you use what you've got available. But I can understand totally the Premier League's perspective. I can understand the clubs wanting to protect their players, uh, wanting to protect the young players as well. And you've got, to, you've got to think as well, people pay a lot of money to go and watch Premier League games. The broadcasters pay a lot of money to put them on. They want to see the best teams play. So would we be shortchanging people who have paid, you know, 70, 80 pounds a ticket if then they're watching effectively a, a semi-youth team game? Um, so maybe it's for the best. I, I, I don't have a real strong feeling on it either way. It, it's just, it's, it's the same with so many facets of life at the moment, isn't it? It's, it's a horrible time. Touch wood, we're nearly at the end of it. We're just going to make do. Guy, are you as pessimistic as everybody else about the quote-unquote title race or the, <laughs> the, I, the, the bereft of life title race right now? Do you think this is going oh. to be a, a slow march to the Etihad once again? I, it, I think that's where it's going. Um, I always have, to be honest. So um, it's no great surprise. Um, yeah, it, what, what I find strange about it is people seem to have a go at City for it. And, and, and you know, oh, you've ruined the title race. What, by winning? Oh, dear. What a shame. <laughs> they've just gone about their business. Have a pop at Chelsea and Liverpool if you want and say they've, they've blown it themselves. Um, it's, not, it's not over yet. There'll be a couple. Of, if City beat Chelsea this coming weekend, yeah, you'd, you'd think Chelsea might be out of it. Um, but it only takes two or three slips. It, it, I, I wouldn't give up hope on there being a thrilling race just yet. And there's plenty of other things to look at. You've got the top four battle. You've got the battle for Europe. The bottom's quite interesting. Um, there's plenty going on. I, I don't get too hung up on title races. Whoever wins the league deserves to win the league. And if it is Manchester City, then it's going to be Manchester City again. They, they are comfortably right now the best team in the country. Guy, you mentioned uh, Liverpool. Mo Salah in action yesterday in the Africa Cup of Nations with Egypt. Didn't play great, but overall... the for a player who was already 
in that upper echelon of Premier League talent, it seems like this season he's taken an even higher leap and is now arguably the best player in the world. I'm just curious. He's so fun to watch. Who's in that category of player for you that you, that you most enjoy watching? And is he now in that category for you? Well, he's, he's always been in that category for the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Just so exciting. Um, Yeah. One of the, whenever he gets the ball, doesn't matter where, anywhere in the, doesn't even have to be in the opposition half. He can get the ball just short of halfway on the touchline and you are immediately drawn to edgy. You see what's going to happen next. This could, this could end up in a goal. Um, yeah, he's been terrific. He's right up there. Who else do I like watching right now? Um, I, just because it's fresh in the mind because of um, the weekend, uh, Friday night at Swindon, the young lad at City, Cole Palmer, yeah. could be a real player. Oh, yeah. He looked tremendous. Um, I, I do like watching Foden as well. Um, he's another one. Um, who have I enjoyed? I'm trying to think of somebody sort of out of the box, somebody perhaps a bit unusual. Um, I enjoyed on Monday night uh, for Villa, uh, Buendia. I thought Emi Buendia is starting to have an impact now after a slow start for Villa. Which is terrible timing considering they've signed Felipe Coutinho. Yeah, I know. At least he's he's playing. It gives gives him another option. Mm. Um, So yeah, Coutinho might have to sit on the bench for a bit. Who knows? Um, He's not exactly done great with Barcelona, has he? So um, yeah, I I enjoy watching him on Monday night. I can't think off the top of my head, but there is there, there, there are so many in the Premier League, aren't there? A guy, I you know, I don't know why we didn't get to you in the immediate aftermath of what happened in the summer with England. You were one of the first people on my mind, uh, and by 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 no means is this me, me belatedly rubbing it in, but I, I'm curious <laughs> at the at the in the first week of of 2022, uh, where are you at with Gareth with England? with this World Cup coming at the the end of the year? Because the way I feel about it now is that in terms of, if we're looking at a, a, an arc of progression from 2018, from, uh, you know, the performances then in the summer and now the World Cup on the horizon, that is, we're, we're kind of in winning time for this England squad and maybe for this manager. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering what's your state of mind? Where, where, how do you feel about about England at the moment? Well, you're the first person to actually bring up World Cup in 2022. I've deliberately not been talking about there's no it point. whatsoever. You can't avoid um, it. It's coming and your day of reckoning is upon us. There you go. You said it. You said it. England are up there with the best nations in the world right now and have a chance. That's it. I'm not going any further than that because we've done that over the last, well, all my life. Um, so I refuse to get excited until. Well, let me draw you in. Eve of it. Let me draw you in another way then. <laughs> so but they're in a good place. Put it that way. To well, answer your question, they're in a good place. Right, but um, in, in terms of and and I know we're, it's this year, and but I know we're fast forwarding a little bit because we've we've got a lot of football yet to be played. Mm. Injuries, form, the whole lot. Too much, maybe that might be England's undoing. Maybe it's too much. Yeah, maybe it, it, that might be the case. But if you look at say. The, the progression, like I said, so so Southgate comes in, they're a solid, if unspectacular team in 2018, and yet they still go to a World Cup semi-final. And I I, I don't want to pass through roots and everything. They, they got to a World Cup semi-final and they were only a kick of a ball away from being in a final. They make their first final since 1966. There seems to be things ticking forward. And the one doubt that I have is the manager. Mm. That nah. this is England's most talented group since certainly since 1990 
I think. I think they're better than the golden generation, technically. I think there's there's more players available. And yet, I'm not sure about this manager. But, but I, could, I can throw that back to you and okay. just ask, why? Why aren't you? What has he done wrong? Um, because to me, he's only done things right. Right. Okay. Well, even if you take the game against against Italy, the final against Italy, within the first ten minutes, there was a, a, a almost like a, a blueprint for how to get Italy laid down, and England did it. And then they stopped playing for the next hour. Um, I, I don't think you can lay that on the coach. I think that was the circumstances, the the, the the momentum of the game, the players themselves. They were in new territory. I don't think for a second he asked them to defend and sit back and you know, do things differently. I just, I just think that some things, I think we too, sometimes we go too far into the coaching and the analytics and, you know, and we, we, we overanalyze and we look at, oh, it, 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 when all's said and done, it, they're humans and they're fallible and they're playing a sport that flows. And sometimes I think yeah. you can't program it. We're not playing it on a PC. It's not a football manager game, you know. We, True. It's all human stuff and emotions coming into it. So I think sometimes once the game's going on, we put too much on the coach. And I think we, we, we overdo it a little bit. I think he's got everything right. I actually don't think there would be anybody better for the England job right now. I don't, I don't think anybody would be able to get what he's getting out of this group. And you, you don't hear a single, not one single dissenting voice comes out of that squad. From players left out who might have a, a grudge, they might have a grievance, you don't hear anything. You never hear a bad word about the manager. And I can't remember that being the case with an England manager ever before. There's no way I'm not having you back on before the summer, sometime in the summer, and I'm going to take your temperature after that, okay? Because it, maybe it is too early yeah, for these questions. We're all very cool about it. It's all fine. It's happening. It will be enjoyable. <laughs> um, and, and what will be will be. That's that's it. We've, we've, we've watched it for so long. And you know what? It may be whoever wins the World Cup is not the greatest team in the world. It, it, it that, may be that Italy aren't the greatest team in Europe. Um, I, I think the progression, if it doesn't matter because a new tournament is a new tournament. So you hmm. can't really plot it back. But the World Cup semi-final was great. I never really believed that they were going to go all the way and, and win that. So the disappointment didn't last long. Okay. And the same goes for the European Championship final. It was a next step. Yes, there was a bit of momentum. I, I did a television interview in the two days before the final and rather smugly, I did call it Italy to win. I think I was a penalty out. I think I said 3-2 on penalties. Mm. Oh, really? Um, or was it 4-2 on penalties? I can't remember. I, I, I was a penalty out, but I said a one-all draw and then that'll happen. So I never really had any belief, even on the day of the final, that England would win. Um, I just think it's the next step. And if you're going to be runners-up in the Euros, well, that's that's great because that's the Euros to me are the dress rehearsal for the for the big one. I, I don't want England's next trophy to be a Euros if I'm commentating. I want, I want, I want the big one, please. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, guy, I wasn't planning on going down this road, but now that the door's open, the... Um, uh, shut it, shut it quick. <laughs> well, you've seen so much of England for, you know, various generations and forms of this England team. A lot of tough losses over the years. The Euro final in Wembley, penalties. For mm. an England fan, was that, was that the pinnacle of tough defeats? No, no, definitely not. Because okay. the, the fact they were in the final, you know, the, the most disappointing thing about that day, actually, was all the trouble, the crowd stuff. That really did hurt. That mm. was horrible. That really was horrible to see and to experience yeah. and be anywhere near. That that was the worst thing about the day. Not the defeat. Not Well, it wasn't a defeat, was it? It was a yeah. it lost a penalty competition, as you say. Um, but um, it, no, the, the worst for me was 2016, losing to Iceland in France. That, okay. that, to me, was the lowest I've ever felt after an England game because that just shouldn't have happened. That was just... 
poor yeah. <laughs> at all levels. That was poor and rotten. And yeah, I don't have any fond memories of that tournament as a result. Let me close this door then. And and uh, last one from me, Guy, really is. Um, so the last time we had you on, we were really in the, in the depths of, of COVID and COVID football. There wasn't anybody really at the grounds. And now we have fans back in the ground. And I'm curious because a lot of our listeners, they're interested about the lower leagues. They're very interested in mm. your team that you're an ambassador of, Sunderland. Mm. Uh, less interested in York, but that's 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 okay. So am I by the week. <laughs> um, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> we, we've been uh, almost every week during... Uh, the past year and certainly at the end of 2020 we were hearing about the the real possibility of of lots lots not just one or two but not a berry or a bolton but lots of clubs going out of business um and and this just being too much for them and and football's financials mm. finally hitting the lower leagues hard what is what is the state of play in the championship league one league two right now well, what... i would imagine for a lot of clubs it's 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 very very difficult but i'm not hearing any reports of anybody being close to yeah to going bust um which is which is incredible it is so it is. resilient the english game and i think I, I don't know this for a fact but i look at attendances sporadically and i look down the leagues and take my club for example york city we're in the sixth tier we're in national league north we're still getting three and a half thousand people it's unbelievable that rubbish yeah and and you know there's an argument to say you know if, if the worst came the worst and we did go bust right now. It might not be the worst thing in the world because we come back again. There'll be guaranteed crap. People will still watch even if we reform three levels down. People will go and watch and, and it'll, it'll soon come back again. So people want to go to events and want to go and watch. And actually, maybe after the pandemic, people are keen to get out even more. Sure. I can't wait. We're, we're in a new stadium and I'm going to be, I've not been yet. I've not had a chance to go. A couple of games over Christmas have called off because of COVID and weather. Um, but I, I can't wait. Bradford Park Avenue in two weeks' time, rearranged game. And that's my first visit to the new stadium, which I'm really looking forward to. As for Sunderland, um, they're going well. They're going really well in League One and they get they get wonderful crowds as, as they always have. Mm. Um, still the best away support I've ever experienced of any club ever, anywhere. Just everywhere they go, they take the full compliment. Um, they lost against Lincoln this week in a, a rearranged midweek game. Um, Chris Maguire, former player, came back and got a hat trick as always seems to be the case. Um, but they're, they're on Rotherham's tails at the top. We're going to steaming up behind. But um, this could be the year they get back at least into the championship. And it could be next season that we get a Tyne and Weir derby again. Mm. <laughs> Who knows? Could be. Wow. That would be they special. They could meet the other lot coming down. Um, <laughs> with all their I'm not saying that with a smile on my face. I, I really don't want Newcastle to geographically. I need them in the Premier League, quite honestly. <laughs> I'm in the north. Um, so it's, it's a lot easier for me to get to Newcastle. But... Who knows what's going to happen there? There's a story for the year. Who knows what is going to happen there? Actually, that's a story every year with Newcastle, isn't it? Yeah, well, they've they've bought, they've decided the only team that they've beaten, uh, Burnley this season, they've decided <laughs> to buy their centre forward, which is who's got what two, three goals this season? Yeah, machine he is. Uh, this is this is some of this is what money does to you, uh, guy. It, it, but it, what it, else? What else? Where else can they go? Yeah, they're out of the cup, which to me is is farcical, really. Um, it was it was quite it was quite the sight to see thirty nine year old Wes Houlihan holding off John Joe Shelby and bringing the ball forward. <laughs> He's a player. He's still a player, isn't oh, he? Oh, stop! Unbelievable. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but again, yeah. yeah, there we go. Oh, sorry to keep going the York season. Joe Ironside played ten games on loan for York and couldn't kick his own backside. Then of course he goes and knocks Newcastle out of the cup. So <laughs> there, was, there were a few like that this weekend. Um, sure. But yeah, that's who else are they going to get? They're out of the cup. They're, they're in the relegation zone. They've got Trippier in. They look to be getting Chris Wood. There's, there's all sorts of talk of 
you know, I remember when it happened and I was at the next home game and I remember he- overhearing a conversation between a, a, a dad and his, his kid outside the gates. And I, I'm trying to think of what his exact words were. I think they were along the lines of, don't worry, son, the good times are coming now. Ooh. And it was like all this. I mean, you know, the, the kid was literally thinking we're going to sign Mbappe. You know, that, that, was, that was where they're thinking. And who knows in time, that might be the case, that sort of thing. But well, probably- it certainly isn't going to happen this season and they might even be in the championship next season. Crazy. Unbelievable. I guess along those lines to close out, I was going to ask you about the Premier League. You know, the Newcastle storyline has been one of the biggest stories of the season. We're right around the halfway point. Most teams are somewhere between 18, 21 games played. Uh, what stood out to you so far, good or bad? Uh, what has stood out to me so far? I've seen a lot of good games. I know that much. Um, Manchester City pulling away is 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 incredible. I know we say about this title race and what have you, but they they really have. You just used the word about Chris Wood rather disparagingly, but a machine. City are. I mean, the the ultimate football machine, and, and the, there's no sign of that stopping. Um, Brentford, I've have disappointed and delighted in equal measure for me. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I I look at what they do most weekends. They got a thumping at Southampton last night. Um, yeah. But I look at what they do, and everybody tells me how exciting they are. I've only seen them in the flesh twice, and they were awful. Both times, so maybe I'm I'm a jinx on Brentford, but they've been a good news story. Um, Leeds United are a strange one. I, I don't buy into the whole Bielsa thing as much as a lot of my colleagues do. Um, I just, um, you know, he, he's done a great job and continues to do a great job. If he keeps them up, it might be his best job ever. But I, I'm not sure he's this great genius that, that we're supposed to believe that he is. Have you gotten sucked um, into the uh, the Manchester United news vacuum? It seems like the, that's kind of stood out for a lot of people so far this season, whether it's Ronaldo or Solskjaer or yeah, whatever. and that's just that's just seems to be from the outside. Just it just seems to be a mess. Um, I'm not sure about the Ralph Rangnick thing. Let's see. I, I'd be surprised if he goes on and does this two year consultancy role when he packs in. Um, personally, I, I, I would be a little bit surprised. Um, I've not seen anything from them on the field to say that he's making a great change and that they have a strategy. And that, Mind you, he's only been there, what, seven games? So they're, they're working it out and they've only lost one. So, you know, maybe let's be patient there and maybe that is the answer and maybe that's the strategy moving forward. But there's going to be a lot of changes there over the next, well, the rest of the season and, and next summer. I can see huge changes at Manchester United. There has to be. Yeah, absolutely. Guy, this is always one of our favorite interviews. Uh, whenever we do it, uh, it's, uh, it's always fun, man. We appreciate the time. We look forward to listening to you throughout the rest of the season. Have Thanks. a good one, man. Cheers. I, I promise not to talk about York City too much next time. <laughs> All good. <laughs> Take care. Cheers. Our thanks to Guy Malbray. Great stuff, man. Love talking with him. Yeah, it is. And I have to say, this weekend cemented something for me. If there's football fans in the United Kingdom who are unsure about the place the FA Cup still holds in the calendar. That's not the case in America and it's certainly not the case amongst our listeners. They love it. Mm. They love the variety of it. They love the fact it's something different. They love the fact it's not the Premier League which can get, it can get, there's a monotony if you if you hone in. Our s- listeners? Yeah. I think our listeners like the Premier League a whole lot. Oh, I think they do but I think they like the FA Cup a whole lot and they see the value in it. I really do think that's the case. Um, it's a lovely break. I just found it a nice break. Looking at teams in different jerseys, they were playing with a different ball. There was loads of youth players that you'd never heard of on the on the good sides. Uh, it was, 
it was fun. It was very enjoyable. And there was, you know, some teams that, ah, uh, that's, that's a reminder of their values, like Millwall throwing cans at Crystal Palace players. Jeez, yeah. You know, uh, just a reminder of, of that they still exist and are there. Um, and Barnsley versus Barrow. For you know, that was about as much fun as a game can be. I flicked over to that after Cambridge and Newcastle finished. Watched that in extra time. Brilliant game. Um, and Brennan, I, I now know who Brennan Johnson is. I've seen him play for Nottingham Forest, racing down the wing against Arsenal, crossing for Lewis Graben. The city ground is a great ground too. Forgotten about that. Don't get to see it that often. It was, it was a fun weekend. I uh, I needed it. It was. Yeah, I mean, some of the results you had, you know, Burnley obviously going out, the Newcastle result. Brilliant, wasn't it? Oh, man. That's so good. <laughs> um, Brighton, Everton, Southampton all need extra time to get past lower division Everton competition. Everton were so lucky. Uh, Tottenham down 1-0 for for a long time. Yeah, boot, uh, off, boot off at halftime. Yeah, uh, a couple of players, Ndombele and Deli Alley boot off. Uh, we'll talk about the Ndombele when his transfer inevitably happens, I'm going to have so much to say about it. So I I'm going to hold it because this podcast could get long tonight. Uh, so I'm going to hold those thoughts for when he's inevitably sold. I'm going to make you do it on a different podcast. It'll be the Ndombele cast. I have so many thoughts. But it's it's interesting in the, the Tottenham Morecambe. I saw that um, at Spurs Web Seb tweeted during that game when Morecambe were up 1-0. He pointed out, because like it's lower division competition, way lower, but uh, two to two tiers down from Tottenham, uh, so you already got that. But then even within League One, uh, he notes that Morecambe have the worst defensive record in League One. They're twenty first in the table and have conceded forty nine goals, around two per game on average. Tottenham <laughs> could not break them down. Finally, they did. They got three uh, to put it away. But it was funny, JJ, watching the back and forth as Arsenal fans taunted Tottenham when they were trailing one nil. Tottenham, of course, came back and won, and then Arsenal played their FA Cup match and went out uh, to lower division to Nottingham Forest. Yeah, so I, I, there were some Arsenal fans that I just want you know they were pulling their hair out losing to Nottingham Forest. It's the second time they've lost to Nottingham Forest in the past three or four years. They went out in the cup to them before in worse fashion, four two. Um, but also Nottingham Forest have two more European Cups than you. you know? Okay, but. It's 2022. I, I don't care. And that I, matters. I won't have slander of Forest. There, are, you know me. There are beloved. But clubs. Arsenal should beat them. Oh, definitely, and definitely with the team they put out. Yeah, Martinelli, Sacco, Odegaard, and they didn't get a shot on target. Only you. I the shame of that. No shot on target with that three and Enketi um, up front. Unbelievable. I wonder sometimes if we're a jinx in any way. I don't really believe in we jinxes. we talked Arsenal up. We, re- we just did. Did we get too excited? We <sighs> might have. I did enjoy their performance against Man City. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I got my, my panties in a bunch. Maybe. It's happened. <laughs> Has it? What an image. Let's all, let's all think about it now yeah. as we take a quick break. During the break, I want you to all just let that resonate. Let it percolate. Uh, when we come back, we still got a lot to do. Africa Cup of Nations, some Manchester United stuff that I wanted to get to. Um, yeah, you're, that's, you're that's re- interesting to me. really enthusiastic about United. Well, as the, if there's anything left to say about them. Uh, also, Mo Salah spoke to GQ magazine. He did. So I want to talk about that. Red cards, men of the match, mailbag, tons, tons left. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now. Caught offside. 
Uh, JJ, before we get into some of our other kind of news and notes, there was one thing I, I forgot to put on the rundown earlier, but I saw this come down kind of late oh. uh, yesterday. And it's not great news for Sporting Kansas City fans. I just wanted to mention it so they didn't think we forgot about them. Uh, Tom Bogert um, posted that uh, Sporting KC manager and Sporting Director Peter Vermees says Alan Polito will more than likely miss the entire 2022 season. Wow. Alan Polito is having surgery on the same left knee that he had issues with all of last year. Originally injured on international duty with Mexico. Tried to play through it last year. Turns 31 in March. Contract expires after the 2023 season. So uh, Tom points this out. The club record signing only will have played 33 of 89 games for them after this year. That is brutal because you can tell that when he's right in MLS, he's excellent. A whole season? Brutal. Ah, Brutal blow to Sporting KC. That's terrible. I mean, look, I guess... I guess it's better to find out now than on you know the eve of the season beginning, so they can try to do something well, about it. But it suggests, a, with my knowledge of the knee, it's not it's something very serious in terms of a ligament, possibly. Oh yeah, uh, so it's oof, not what Sporting KC fans, when they logged on Twitter, were uh, hoping to read. That is that that one hurts. Uh, let's see a couple other stories. JJ want to talk about. Get to Africa Cup of Nations in a sec, but first um, you were talking about FA Cup. Cristiano Ronaldo from Man United missed their FA Cup tie versus Aston Villa, apparently with an injury. Apparently not too serious. They didn't Should... play. They didn't play better. They got through it, but they did not yeah. play better. So uh, minus Ronaldo does not equal better United. So I saw this. We've you know, we talk about the new manager bounce. We have not seen it. With Ralph Ragnick well, we thought, and Manchester United. We, we thought we saw it at home to Southampton where, ooh, aren't they, or Crystal Palace, I think it was Palace, one or the other. They seem to be interchangeable on this podcast today. Um, one of Ragnick's early games, ooh, everyone's pressing more. They've had 12 times, 12 more recoveries than they usually have, blah, blah, blah. But generally, it's been awful. So, N- not better. Awful. So, uh, yeah, and, and I saw a tweet from Ian Dark that, it was very interesting to me because it got me thinking more about this Manchester United squad and the way that this group under you know Ed Woodward, uh, the way they've chosen to do business. And Ian Dark says, Man United's reported issues with low morale may be rooted in a bloated 32-man squad, which means there are potentially 21 cheesed-off players who don't start every week. The need to offload some is a priority. Well, it's a great point. It is a good point. Um the, but the, I mean, it's been bloated for for a long time. But what, like, for you know, I'm not saying that the, he's talking about cheesed off players. You know, so we're talking about guys who are who are being a disruption in some way in the dressing room, who are just you know grumpy. Not ha- I'm not I'm going to say players' names now. Not the not necessarily that I think it's them, but guys who presumably would be playing elsewhere. Like, why did Manchester United hold on to Jesse Lingard? You know what what is Anthony Martial doing for Manchester United right now? Like what? I just don't like these are players that presumably do have value on an open market. Maybe not. I mean, Martial probably definitely will not have the value of what they bought him for. They're going to have to take a loss. But is it worth keeping a grumpy player potentially? Who like are they waiting for injuries? Well, are these the guys you think are talking to the Daily Mail and complaining about the coaching? Uh, I don't know. We saw we've seen articles nearly. In the last two weeks, a different article, one in The Athletic, one in the Daily Mail. They're complaining about the way the canteen is set up. They're complaining about Chris Armas. They're complaining about... Um, the, Chris, I mean, Chris Armas has been there for like a week. Yeah, compla- like, complaining. Uh, but the the players that are complaining about resumes, I'm convinced that that's Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo, these crew. And I think you're probably right, though. The disgruntled ones underneath, they're not going to keep quiet. 
Yeah, I don't get the sense that it is. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the Ronaldos and Bruno. I don't know. I assume it's the guys who are who who just want to be playing, yeah. and it's not happening there. And then United won't sell them. You know, the Athletic they pointed out. Uh, I'm going to read a little quick part from it here, but it's because it's interesting. They say the transfer of Daniel James to Leeds for 25 million was shrewd business, but it was only the seventh sale of 10 million or more since Woodward took charge in 2013. That's. I mean, think about that for a sec. Um, you know, he goes through some of them. Lingard and Martial, whom Solskjaer was happy to sell, could have brought in $50 million or more last summer. In the same period, Chelsea raised $102 million, selling Abraham for 34, Kurt Zuma for 25.8, Liverpool got 12 for Harry Wilson, uh, 10.5 for Marco Grujic, and 9.5 for Jordan Chichiri. Um, one recruitment source considers how City have dispensed with Ferran Torres, Sergio Aguero, and David Silva in recent years, saying Manchester City are letting go of genuine first-team players. United keep hold of players who haven't featured for them in two years. they got to change the way they're doing things. It's, I don't think, it's but, one thing to have a big squad. That's good. But I think that they, are, they have now crossed that line and are doing so at a detriment. I, I agree with you, but again, you're... you're imp- you're importing structures from well-run teams onto something that we know behind the scenes hasn't been well-run at all. And this has been this squad was bloated last season, right? It was bloated the season before that. It's so bloated that, like I said, I keep going back to Gdansk when you had Donny Van de Beek in a tracksuit, not even ready to go. Ridiculous! It's crazy, and they allowed, and that slide is again symptomatic of a general slide at the club. It's everywhere, and. Again, Ranić, who is, by the way, not a manager. He is a part-time manager. He's been a manager, what, twice in the last decade, going over old ground here. But he should be cleaning house behind the scenes and putting the structures in place instead of trying to deal with the end product, which is already a mess. Uh, I mentioned uh, Liverpool there. Mo Salah, he spoke to GQ magazine, JJ. What a feature. He did, and he looked good. I like what they did with the 92, 93, or rather... I mean, it looked like a Halloween costume. The 94, 95... uh, Well, no, they they had the retro uh, jersey on, and then they had nice Adidas socks that you would wear, nice Adidas sambas, I think, that you would wear, and kind of orangey shorts. He just looked normal, and he's smiling being himself. As opposed to last January, where they dressed... Christian Pulisic, like a country rock star, well, the problem was they, and made him pout. They put him in very baggy clothing, uh, Christian. He lo- and it just and tank tops and just made him look like it didn't. Yeah, if someone had told you if you'd landed from outer space and someone had said this was uh, an extra from Dawson's Creek, yeah, I, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, he just looked a little out of his comfort zone. Which, by the way, but there's they, nothing wrong with exiting one's comfort zone. But by the way, just telling Salah to smile makes even the dodgiest ensemble, and some of these are still dodgy, <laughs> makes the dodgiest ensemble look okay. Because he's a nice smile. They didn't tell Pulisic to smile. No, it was more of like a... Pouty. A brooding. Brooding. And he's not a brooding... It's like, you know, soulfully staring out a rain-soaked window yeah. type, of, type of feel to As it. As quit playing games with my heart plays yeah. in the background. Yeah. I, I think you've, we've created the... The right image. But the interesting thing for Salah wasn't necessarily what he was wearing. It was some of what he talked about because he addressed his contract situation. He said, I want to stay, but it's not in my hands. It's in their hands. I'm not asking for crazy stuff. Um, JJ, assuming that Salah isn't lying and us operating under the assumption that his idea of crazy stuff is mostly aligned with what ours would be. uh, We've talked about this. I know your stance, but I'll just set you up so you can smash it home. 
Is there any justification for Liverpool not having locked this guy Oh, up? nothing. Nothing. Now, Klopp spoke today and he said he was very positive on Salah Talks and I know the fans are nervous, he said, but people need to realise it's a process and we are quote-unquote, I'm paraphrasing here, in a good place. I don't care. This should be done. The guy wants to say, he went on in that article to say, I've been here for my fifth year now. I know the club very well. I love the fans. The fans love me. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He's comfortable here. Get it done. Vinny O'Connor, and if this is true, if this is true and FSG botched this and he ends up going somewhere else, so help me God, John Henry will never be welcome back in Liverpool again. I mean that. Vinny O'Connor of Sky has intimated that Salah's asking price is closer to 300000 which in relative terms, it's still crazy money, 300000 a week. It's exactly what it should be. I mean, you're right. Yeah. It's a huge sum of money. But but in, 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 in the footballing world, in that stratosphere, it is not crazy stuff whatsoever. He's the best player in the league. He's the best player in the world right now, if you want to go to... The, to that, I, uh, I would not fight you on that. Right, so just do it. Like it makes it makes total sense. Now, I will, I will admit that on this podcast we have got it wrong. You have to make a calculation, which I think is an easy one to make. Is he going to go into his thirties and and the early part and the deeper part of his thirties and be Robert Lewandowski, or is he going to be Aubameyang? Now, I think it's obvious he's going... It's more likely he's going to be... Not obvious, because injuries can happen. But look at his injury profile. He doesn't get bad injuries. He's a model professional from what we know. Where's... There's just no risk to this. The The risk is losing him. Well, the problem for Liverpool and John Henry and and their whole group... Is this not how they operate at all? The problem is that they didn't take care of this sooner because now they're operating from a position of zero leverage. When you're trying to negotiate with someone when he's at his absolute peak. Having his best season. When he's be- when he has elevated, like these negotiations are taking place right in the thick of him elevating to being the best player on earth. Like that's, <laughs> now he can ask for anything he wants. So I understand them almost, not that, not that they'd be rooting for him to suddenly not be as good. But like maybe they're they want to see this play out a little bit longer and see if there is some kind of leveling off or if he comes back down to earth or but, something. But, I don't know. But I mean, even his leveling off period. Look at the seasons he's had. These have been five fantastic seasons. Someone asked me, is he the best African player in 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 that's ever played in the league? Is he better than Didier Drogba? Look at the numbers. He's way ahead. He's just he's he's outstanding. He's absolutely outstanding, and just get it done. I. I don't understand the holdup. You're uh, not going to get someone to replace him. No. No, definitely not. Um, and I wonder where he would go should he leave. Uh, I mean, like, as is always the case with that conversation. It's PSG, Bayern Munich. Newcastle. <laughs> oh, the look he's that not, JJ just shot me there. He's not going to I wish you all could have seen he, it. Does he want to play in the championship? Speaking of Salah, we should uh, check in on what's been going on at the Africa Cup of Nations. Um, the 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 first match of this tournament with Cameroon was two one. Now there was one other match this afternoon that I had not yet seen the final of. I'm going to check right now, but I believe every single other match has been one nil, um, and there was one nil nil. Yeah, so well we can do we can go through today's results. Uh, Mali beat Tunisia one nil. Uh, Gambia, in their very first tournament, their debut tournament, they beat Mauritania one nil, and. Today as well, Equatorial Guinea took on Ivory Coast. 
Cote d'Ivoire, 1-0 to the Ivory Coast. I, I'm, is, like, is anyone else seeing this? It's been crazy. It's like Ita- Every it's like single it's, game. It's like Italia 90. <laughs> They're all 1-0. There have certainly been some interesting moments, of course, in this tournament um, up to this point. We were talking about Salah, we should say, in, in probably, I would say, the most high-profile matchup of these initial uh, set of group stage matches, uh, Egypt and Nigeria. And Salah was really held in check. He actually did not play well and got a hand it to Nigeria. That did not happen by accident. Uh, Nigerian interim coach Augustine Egwavon spoke about their strategy after the game. He said this, and he really endeared himself to me in this quote. You'll see why in a sec. <laughs> he said, basketball is one game that I love so much. When you're playing against the likes of Michael Jordan or Allen Iverson and others, if you don't double team, you'll have a problem. That is the same strategy that I bring into football. So when Mo Salah is with the ball, the closest person goes to him, and the next person has to double team him to make him play back. It worked for us like 80%, but Salah broke loose one or two occasions, which is normal. But again, congratulations to the boys because they are so intelligent. I mean, they they set out basically saying, okay, we're going to, like, Egypt is a good team, but he's otherworldly. We will dare literally anyone else on that team to beat us. Um because we don't think they can. We will not allow that guy to beat us. We are going to double-team him every time he has the ball. And it worked. He was not a factor. And the challenge for Egypt is how do you... It's a challenge for a lot of teams. How do you make your best player... How do you take him out of the game significantly where he's not your constant focal point that can be closed down and yet he still has an influence? Because if the ball... If he's like... I can, I did not see that game, but I can only imagine... He was dropping deep. He was probably more central than he usually. I mean, he had one good chance in front of net. Kind of scuffed it. Couldn't get. Couldn't yeah. really make good contact. But other than that, he was he was kind of a non-factor. Yeah. Um, and really, Kalechi Iannaccio for Nigeria was excellent. Scored a fantastic goal. Um, and Nigeria looked, you know, out of the gate against Egypt, they looked like they could be kind of one of your your early favorites. I don't think that'll necessarily surprise people to hear about Nigeria. No. Um, we should talk about the reigning champions, Al- Algeria, who could only tie nil-nil with Sierra Leone yesterday. What a performance by the Sierra Leone keeper, Mohamed Kamara. Man of the match, deservedly given to him. Um, to say it was an aggressive display of goalkeeping is an understatement. There were diving headers to clear the ball. There was sliding tackles out of his box to clear the ball. Clean, perfectly executed, by the way. Um, one save was made, like an actual, like a diving save you'd see on the line. He made, and this is what I'm talking about when I say aggressive, about two yards inside his own penalty box. He's making blocks out there. Um, and he, weighed, he made, um, I mean, to give him his due, one brilliant save from a Mares volley where he gets down and tips it around the post. Nil-nil is brilliant start uh, for Sierra Leone. First time Algeria had been uh, held scoreless in 35 games. That's not am- easy to do. That's and, amazing. And, and it and they it doesn't sound like that this happened because Algeria weren't on it. It sounds like Algeria were actually pretty good. But sometimes you run into a goalkeeper who's just in some kind of zone. <laughs> there was another save where he's gone to save the initial shot and he's ended up on his knees and the headers come at him and he's in this kneeling position which is just the worst thing for a goalkeeper, and he shoots his hand up, knocks it into the air, and then gets up and reclaims it. It was just one of those games. Love a good like goalkeeper acrobatics type game. There's nothing like it, Andrew. Love it. Um, Sofian Buffal scored a late winner to hand Morocco, went over Ghana. Uh, Senegal needed injury time and a penalty from Sadio Mane, JJ, to get past Zimbabwe. Uh, earlier today, earlier yes. today, Mali beat Tunisia 1-0. But can we talk about 
Can we talk about how this ended? So the referee, uh, Yanni Sakazwe, first blew for full time on 85 minutes. <laughs> yes. Shouldn't you happen. heard that, that correctly. That shouldn't happen, Yanni. Then apparently he, re- he realizes mistake, but again blew for full time just before 90 minutes uh. had expired. The rare blatant double down on an obvious mistake from Yanni Sakazwe. Now, it's important to note, like you could say, okay, he blew on 90 minutes, maybe there wasn't much stoppage time, but first off, when is that ever the case in the second half? But let's just say, okay, you want to think that? Well, it's important to note that this, this was a second half, JJ, that included two VAR reviews, several substitutions, and a water break. So not only was this going to be like some stoppage time in the second half, there was going to be significant second half stoppage time. I would say probably a minimum of, of six minutes is what I would say. So, what obviously... Kind, what kind of watch was he using? I don't know. So, obviously... Did t- he get it in a Kinder Egg? Tunisia lost their minds. They go crazy over this. Uh, everybody goes back to their locker rooms. There's a lengthy discussion, and some 20 minutes later, the match was going to be finished to its proper conclusion. They were going to play out whatever stoppage time they were going to deem there to be. Uh, but uh, So, uh, Mali came back out onto yes. the field. Tunisia did not. They were done. They didn't come back out. Um, and... In the end, I suppose the moral of the story is I hope you all enjoyed Yanni Sakazwe's only per- appearance at Africa Cup of Nations uh, for this year because can't imagine seeing him again. No, I can't either. I should uh, mention, by the way, that Wabi Kosri did miss a second-half penalty in this that could have tied it up 1-1. This game had everything. Wild stuff this, this game. game had everything except the correct amount of time. Um, Crazy. Uh, just one report from Reuters that I read today, which is... Um, very disturbing, actually, in terms of tournament safety. A prominent opposition figure and a soldier have been killed in separate attacks in Cameroon's restive Anglophone regions, intensifying security concerns as the country hosts the African Cup of Nations. Yeah, yeah. that's so, there's some underlying tensions as this is going on, I certainly. Mean, that was the major... Th- obviously, the, the tournament was repositioned from the summer to, to this time of year, to the early winter, but I mean, the major cause of concern going into this was looming civil unrest. Um, And you just hope that the tournament... You don't want civil unrest anyway. You hope that doesn't happen, but you're hoping the tournament can can be conducted and finished safely. Can I ask you a fan-related question? We are fans, after all. That's our expertise. You love Mo Salah with all your heart. He's probably one of your all-time favorite players. However... Are you actively, this player that you love, are you actively rooting for him to lose, to get him out of there as quickly as possible, or do you want good things for him? No. Good things. Okay. Don't be injured. Come back fit and healthy. He's given us so much. We can't give him a couple of weeks for his country. Okay. Yeah, we can. Come on. I wonder how most people would answer that. But I mean, I won't cry any tears if they're knocked <laughs> out and he comes back yeah. early. Like that's the truth of it, but I'm not. Then wi- you're a bad guy. I'm not actively wishing for them to be eliminated. I'm not going to go into games hoping that Senegal go out for Mane and that I just I don't I can't operate like that. Okay. And also I I've kind of I got into this mode now. Where get on with it, you know. These top teams in the English Premier League have more money than anybody else. They've got deep squads. They've got reserves. Get on with it. Would you feel this way? It's impossible to know, but would you feel this way if there were in fact a title race? Oh, I, like I'd be. Uh, like you're going to Liverpool season kind of is what it is you're going to be good but you're not going to win a title you're not going to fall out of top four like you kind of know that I would I would. so you don't really need him 
if we were, if there was a title race on, yeah, you know, the part there'd be a huge part of me would want him back quickly, obviously. Uh, but there'd be another part of me that'd be like, don't moan, don't complain about this, like really, don't do it because publicly, I hate, I hate hearing it, like I really do from these absolute super rich clubs. Nailbag, let's do it. You just, you kind of shouted that at me as if you wanted me to stop talking. The conversation, I think, had resolved itself. Wow. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> Caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram and at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter. Follow us. Go there. Our rinky dink social media. Um, let's just have a look here. Colby, I'm behind on podcasts. So, Ori, Fraser Forster's time-killing. So, we were talking about Fraser Forster. He would, you know, set the ball down, dig the ground, walk back, kick his boots, blah, 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 kick the post, big deep breath. That was all against Tottenham when they were a man down. Um, I submit this, but of baseball minuity from my first favourite player ever. (laughs) This is called, this guy was called Mike the Human Rain Delay. And he used to drive opposing pitchers insane with his... Uh, he was a Cleveland Indians. Mike Hargrove. Um, Mike Hargrove, mm-hmm. amongst others. Um, yeah, and I think the only way to... I mean, this guy would put Fraser Forster to shame in terms of his, his routine and his tactics. Uh, let's have a listen to how that sounds in baseball voice. Bangs the barrel into the bat against the shoes, reaches behind him to the left hip pocket, readjusts the glove, readjusts the donut he wears on his left thumb, flexes the shoulders, touches the helmet, readjusts the glove again, <laughs> goes to the nose, again a readjustment of the glove, again a readjustment oh, of the God. donut, readjusts the glove, flexes the shoulders, touches the helmet, readjusts the glove readjusts again, the goes glove. to the nose, again a readjustment of the glove, again a readjustment of the donut. <laughs> So I was listening to that today and I was, because um, I was sending it to you and I found myself washing dishes at the sink and in my mind, the screensaver was readjust the glove. <laughs> like, uh, unbelievable. Absolute. Baseball players are, are notorious. I mean, they all have these, like they, Nomar Garcia-Para uh, had these weird step out of the box on every after every pitch to readjust the batting gloves, his elbow pads, everything. Touches uh, his arms, his legs. But I mean, it's built into the game almost, isn't it, really? you know, it's, Everything is routine, everything is repetition. They're right, crazy. Right, whereas I remember uh, a visit of Israel to um, Lansdowne Road for a World Cup qualifier, and the Israeli goalkeeper just went mental. Whatever he could do, everything. He'd catch the ball, and then he'd fall on his ankle, and he'd yeah. grab his ankle, he'd roll around. Like in soccer, you really do have to get dramatic. When you're losing and like you play in a cross that a goalkeeper catches on his feet and then he like then he dives to the ground, it's just one of like for some reason that image that's just like a morale killer to me. When that happens, I'm always like, We're not winning this game. This is gonna take thirty seconds as he stands back up. Like I hate when keepers do that. Yeah, you're right. Uh Benjamin Doyle, uh I was listening to yesterday's Uh, January 6th episode of ESPN podcast and everybody's favorite host Craig Burley went off on Hercules Gomez for asking Ricardo Pepe in his interview if he had called and talked to Bearhalter about the upcoming move. I'm a Chelsea fan. I participate in a ton of U.S. soccer. Meaning, f- meaning what? Just explain. Almost like using Bearhalter as a consultant. Should I do this? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. 
Um, I am a Chelsea fan. I also participate in a ton of US soccer forums. And I am so incredibly sick of everybody lambasting Tuchel for playing Pulisic here or not completely redoing his system so that Pulisic can play as a wing or blah, blah, blah. It drives me crazy. Tuchel won the Champions League, but all I hear is how s*** a manager he is for not starting Pulisic as a winger every game. I can imagine the... The forums are like that for US MNT. Now the Chelsea vitriol is starting with Dest as transfer rumours heat up. I actually want Pulisic to transfer to Arsenal because Arsenal Fan TV versus American know-it-all fans will be A-plus entertainment. <laughs> and Dest not to come to Chelsea because I just can't take the American couch coaches ranting about decisions a 115-year-old professional football club makes as it progresses through the season. The American fans are toxic. Does any other national team fan base have this kind of attachment to their national team players in spite of all the work the players do for their day job? Am I out of line for wishing all USMNT fans would just STFU? <laughs> um, so is Benjamin Doyle not a USMNT? No, he is. He, says, yeah. he's a, he is a, an American. But he's in this difficult position of... He just can't hack the, the, the way that um, the US... US men's national team... Stands, we'll call them. They are as hardcore and as uh, it's the most obsessed. I- I'm a I'm a fan of a lot of sports. Anyone mm. who knows me knows I love a lot of sports. I'm a I'm an extremely loyal fan of of my teams. You know, and I follow all the right people on Twitter to to do so. Um, there is no team or no sport that I follow that has a fan base as aggressive as what US men's national team Twitter is. Yes. Now, it's uh, unbelievable. Uh everything relates back to the USMNT. Everything. And there are no the problem is there I say aggressive because there are no mild takes. It feels <laughs> like every tweet you see is angry, uh it's shouting and they're all like that. And look, you know, I I feel partially to blame. I mean, we've talked about Pulisic and we've wondered, is what's going on for him at Chelsea the right thing? Of like we, we, you know, I get Benjamin, I get his points. Yeah, you know, as a Chelsea fan, your best interest is what Chelsea is doing. Sure. Not necessarily what Christian Pulisic is doing. So I get that. You know, but like we're, as American fans and, and we cover them on this show, it's, he's our best player. And so his progress matters greatly to the progress of the U.S. men's national team. So to see him playing out of position for people is going to be a source of frustration. So I'm not surprised, but I get Benjamin's point because people, there, there is no third gear. Like, there's only there's only first gear, you know, people are furious, and, like, there's no kind of, like, soft, ooh, should he be doing that? Is this? It's just like, Tuchel, moron. Yeah. Get rid of him now. This is ruining everything. Like, so I, I get it. Yeah, and I do think a lot of U.S. soccer fans who are very online fans have been steeled by the fact that they've had to take dog's abuse from their counterparts across the channel. Every time... We will... I mean, look, I can say this as an American fan. There's an unbelievable inferiority complex sure. when you talk about Sure, and th- I think that builds into aggression online. Because I definitely you, do you have that. to... You feel like you have to make your point louder and with more confidence... To get people to listen to you or, or believe you. And also, if you've always, if every soccer take you've had online has been responded to by hordes of English people calling you a numpty, that is going to make you react the same way to your fellow supporters in this country. 
Um, yeah, I, I I understand that they are um, they're an interesting group. Herb Smith wants to compare wants to compare John Madden. The closest world soccer has to John Madden is Johan Cruyff. Really? Yeah, we've heard this before. Um, this is, this is the bullet points. Perhaps the greatest player of his generation has a legendary move named after him. Famous, quite independent as a player, coach, technical director, and pundit teacher. That's where it falls apart. Nobody was tuning in en masse to hear what Johan Cruyff, certainly not in the English-speaking world, had to say about football. Now, he did have a TV presence for a while, but it was nothing compared to Madden's. And he never had a game named after him. Cruyff influences so much of the football we see right now from Pep Guardiola to Xavi. That's him. That can't be taken away. Is he the most influential football person of the last 40 years, 50 years? Yes. More than Messi? Well, in terms of... Yes, more than Messi. Okay. In terms of of coaching and, and, and the way teams play and the way managers think about the game, I think so. I do not think he is the same kind of... like. Does he resonate with 20-year-olds the way John Madden does no, because of the no, video no, game? No, 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 right. no, That's right. it. And that's, and that's where it falls apart. Um, but thanks for that, uh, Herb. And uh, one of the animals on Reddit, uh, caught offside pod or forward slash caught offside pod if you want to join them, who would be the modern-day big-name player to do something similar to A.B., Antonio Brown, who stripped off on the sideline at the Meadowlands last week. And just left. And just left. Just quit. Future Hall of Famer. I mean, this is a legend. A brilliant player, but a player whose last five, six, seven years have been quite erratic. Maybe not even that long. Maybe the last three years. Yeah. Who would be the modern-day big-name player to do something similar? So, I mean, big-name player, I don't know. Someone we know. Okay. Don't even say someone we know. Just a player. It's someone we know. Uh, the one that who, I could suggest. Who would do it's that? It's probably a cliche answer, but... What? I mean, would it? Would you be completely shocked if you saw Mario Balotelli do this? Probably not. I know a player who sat down in the middle of the game and had to be convinced to get... In the middle of a Premier League game and have to, had to be convinced to get back up and play. That happened at uh, Upton Park, West Ham United, Paulo Di Canio. Okay. He hadn't got three refereeing decisions in a row. He missed out on two penalties that he thought were stonewall penalties and a free kick or something like that. And Harry Redknapp tells the story best. Paulo just said, no, I'm not playing anymore. And he sits down on the sideline close to the touchdown. And uh, Red, Redknapp says, Paulo, what are you doing? Get up, get up. No, no, I don't. I don't play no more. I don't play. And he sits down on the field. The footage is there on YouTube if you want to go and watch it. But apart from that, oh, my! that happened, this, where a player's quit, happened to me once. The most disgraceful incident I've ever been involved in. We're playing Gaelic football game, proper organised football. You know how seriously it's taken back mm-hmm. home. And our manager substitutes the brother of one of our best players. Takes him out of the game. He decides that his brother is going off. I'm not playing anymore. I've had enough. Decides to storm off the field. In some kind of solidarity with his brother? Yeah, as if there, this, this, this manager of ours, this coach, knows nothing. I'm walking off. Walks off. Wait for the most embarrassing part. I was playing in goal at the time. So my, my shirt was the same. My goalkeeper shirt was the same as the opposition. So the guy who's walking off had given me a shirt of his to wear over it so I'd be wearing something different. He has enough presence of mind. He's not that angry. He walks over to me in the middle of the game. I'm like, what are you doing? Give me back my shirt. <laughs> no, we're 
were playing. I have to take off the shirt and hand it to him. Oh, man. He never played for our club again. I'm it was shocked. The most shameful thing ever. Yeah. Like, never. By the way, kids, those of you who are young enough to be listening and need advice, don't ever quit on your team like that. It's certainly not in the middle of a game. In the middle of a game. Yeah, no, that's. That's not what you want. That's the male beasy. Nice, nice. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's uh, let's do this now. Red card. Can I go first? You may. I would love that. Uh, JJ, my red card goes to a certain stadium situation. JJ, in February, um, the current MLS Cup champions, NYCFC, will begin their quest to, begin to, uh, to become the first MLS team to win the elusive CONCACAF Champions League. The second leg of the opening round for them will take place at home in Los Angeles. <laughs> Pathetic. JJ, Yankee Stadium is not, apparently, a CONCACAF-approved venue. Neither is City Field in Queens, which would be their backup. And Red Bull Arena is unavailable due to ongoing renovations. So, they're going to play their home leg at LAFC's Bank of California Stadium. And so this becomes the most extreme chapter yet in the story of NYCFC's search Throw for the a league. stadium. Throw them out of the league. Strip them of their title. Well, kick them out of here's the league. What I'll, here's what I will say. Joke. Well, who, NYCFC? Yeah, joke. Yeah, I'd also, I mean, it's odd to me that their stadium, at Yankee Stadium, is FIFA-approved but not CONCACAF-approved. That's odd. I don't totally understand CONCACAF's requirements here. Um, but I, I will say this about NYCFC in the, from the category of making the best of a bad situation. You're, if you're asking why L.A.? Like, there are other places, presumably, within this region that would make some sense. L.A. actually makes a little bit of sense here uh, because they open up MLS's season on February 27th against the Galaxy. So they figure, let's just be in L.A. the 23rd and the 27th rather than crisscrossing the country to play in so a de- stadium that is not ours. Anyway. De- deny their fans uh, a home game. Well, where were they, where were they going to go that wouldn't do that? Philadelphia, Connecticut. You know, they played in that that stadium in Connecticut before do it again is that CONCACAF approved it's my it, I mean the US women's national team play games there it's I mean what does it need to be approved I don't understand it would be the full size it would be the full dimensions um, let's see this statement from them it's frustrating that this home game will be played on the other side of the country NYCFC chief executive Brad Sims said in a statement on Tuesday However, with our season opener at LA Galaxy only a few days later and our inability to play at Yankee Stadium or one of our alternative home venues, we felt that this arrangement gave our club the best possible chance for two positive results that week as we look to do well in the Champions League and begin the defense of our title. Uh, I don't know. I need more reasons. I need more reasons to, to make me understand this. It's terrible. First, you know, one of the first opportunities to see the champions, the home I, I fans can't know, do it. I, I've got to know what what the regulations are, right? And how far off they are. Like, there's. I need to know that too. They got to get this sorted. I mean, like big picture sorted. Like this, this kind of stuff is just not a good look for anyone. Them, Concacaf, the tournament. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's it's red card. That's that's what it is for damn sure. Yeah, uh, my red card is truly truly grim. Um, oh. It's from the Guardian. Greater Manchester Police have begun an investigation after bullets and threatening letters were reportedly sent to Oldham's owner Abdullah Lemesgam and his brother on Tuesday. Sky Sports News reported that a handwritten letter accompanied by a bullet was sent to Lemesgam, signed by the anonymous group. Lemesgam's brother Mohammed 
the Oldham Sporting Director, was said to have received a similar letter and a bullet. Abdallah Lemesagam, deeply unpopular with many fans, issued a statement on Tuesday saying he had begun talks to sell the club, who were bottom of League Two. Greater Manchester Police said, We are aware of a situation involving a report of malicious communications at Oldham Athletic Football Club. Our investigation is in its very early stages and our inquiries are ongoing. Now, there's been protests at the ownership, um, I think at Late Norrent at the weekend. Um, you know, Oldham fans don't like the ownership and the club's been in, in a really bad state over the last few years, but that's... I don't know how you get to that point. I'm going to send bullets to someone. Like, it's it's absolutely wild. And, um, yeah, red card. Yeesh. Caught offside's man of the match. So let's end on happier notes. Uh, I will start, JJ. My man of the match is Weston McKinney. Now, you will, of course, remember back on September 6th or thereabouts, 2021, Weston McKinney got sent home from U.S. World Cup qualifying. And it, it almost felt in that moment like his we might have even said this, that it, it kind of felt like he was hitting like a crossroads moment with his career. Like, what kind of professional are you going to be? Are you just going to be like a good player? Or are you going to be the guy that a lot of American fans think you can be? Like, are you willing to do the things that it requires to be truly great? Where was his? Where was this career heading? Well, lately it feels like McKinney has very much gotten his career back on the trajectory that caused so many of us to fall in love with him in the first place. Played really well for Juve in last weekend's thriller, 4-3 against Roma. Helped set up the crucial uh, go-ahead goal with a, a chip pass into the box. Um, got a little bit of help from Chris Small. He got, defense, a, lot of, he got but, a lot of help but, from but it Chris. Was, it was still nice. It was a, it was a lovely ball. Chris did a lot yeah, of work, his, too. His aggression's gone up a notch. Passing's been sharp. He was 83% in that game against Roma. And then today, in the Italian Supercoppa, JJ, he does this. Smart closely by Strinia. Squeezing the cross in. Scored in the Italian Supercoppa today for Juve against Inter Milan. Now, we should say, I don't want to bury the lead here, Inter did go on and win that in very dramatic fashion. They got a penalty that equalized in the 35th from Latura Martinez and then went on to extra time. And then in the 120th, some horrifying defending from Alexandro led to an Alexis Sanchez winner and Inter Milan take it. But back to Weston McKinney, you know, we covered things with him when it was not going well. So we would, it would not be right as things are going well for him right now, scoring today, playing well for them. You know, when I, he might have gone the full 120 today. I know he had gone the full 90 in back-to-back games for them leading up to this. Um, we got we got to give him his props, and this is what we want to see because we know he's got it in him. We've seen how great of a player he can be. We want to see it consistently. We want to see him doing the right things, and and he is. So good for him, man. I hope it continues. Yeah, it was. Um, it's been quite a few days. That Juventus game at the weekend, Juventus Roma or Roma Juventus, I should say, was unbelievable. Brilliant game. Um, I want you to listen to the audio of uh, Pellegrini's brilliant free kick, which put Jose Mourinho's Roma three-one up. Direct free kick. Pellegrini frames the upper ninety. Unreachable for the Polish goalkeeper. And Roma have some breathing room. As wonderful a free kick goal as you're likely to see all season. Lorenzo Pellegrini delivers. It's Roma 3, Juventus 1. Now, <laughs> oh, what? 
Now that was a great free kick. What? A, it really it, superb curling away. You couldn't put it much more in the top corner. I was unaware that at the Stadio Olimpico they are playing Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. They're playing the build-up drums and then they're saying, they're, the ending part is, a denial. The line is from Kurt Cobain, a denial. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have an explanation. Like if you if you... If you played it after a goalkeeper saved a penalty, a denial, it might make some sense. I just found it odd. Very yeah. odd. It's no dupe. No, it's no dupe. Uh, Josie Mourinho, of course, uh, he took all the blame for the collapse, which ended in a 3-1 turning to a 4-3. He didn't. He blamed the players. Um, there's no point going into it. We're going over no, old No, you already ground. did that on Twitter. Yeah, um, it's no point. <laughs> uh, you way, have a problem. You need help. We had a Mourinho. You need help. We had You're a, addicted. We had a Mourinho stand, though, chime in immediately. Can we stop the hate? You, it, you can't. <laughs> it's not a hit. So, um, thankfully, the animals are there. And the animals on Reddit posted every time he's blamed the players, like at every club in the last. And it's just what he does. We should note, Andrew. That, uh, while we're talking Italy, Lorenzo Insigne to Toronto was officially done and dusted. He was in a very, we're speaking of ensembles in GQ, he was wearing a very fetching pair of Italian glasses and a kind of a, was it a, a po- white polo neck or something like that? He looked very Italian anyway, which is good because he is Italian. Um, that's signed and done. And I'm curious to just get your take on this. Gavin Cooney, the journalist from the 42, uh, tweeted this. Insigne going to the MLS is no longer a case of going to a retirement home. He is leaving one. Syria is reliably good entertainment, but Lucas Leva and Alexis Sanchez are playing each other at the moment, and 40-year-old Zlatan is still holding his own for Milan. Insigne can bank four years' worth of gold in Toronto and then return to Italy as a relatively young man. Oh, it's a good take. It's an interesting take. Oh. I can hear the Syria stands going crazy. Pitchforks and torches are, are being lit as we speak. In fact, I can see the flickers of light from the from the torches uh, down below. We won't get out of the studio tonight what after a, that one. What a statement. Um, I think he's ma- he, he, he makes some sense there. You know, a league in which, you know, Chris Smalling is a starting centre-back. I don't know. The current European champions have a lot of players playing in that league. That's got to count for something. They do, but I mean that doesn't mean they can't be surrounded by not great players no, I mean, either. You're right, you know? there's some there's some of both. By the way, uh, Federer- but I wouldn't look. By the way, I wouldn't. It's not that I'm saying one is a retirement community and the other isn't. No, he's not ne- saying to that me, either. Neither of them are. No, and I and I I'm not sure I totally agree with him. I don't like getting into this is a good league, this is a bad league because we've seen before. You know, we've seen Leon take on Manchester City in the Champions League and knock them out. So, uh, I don't know. By the way, we should say, too, if we're talking about Italian football, I don't remember if we covered this on the last podcast or not, when this when it happened exactly. I don't think we have, but Federico Chiesa, done. That happened this in uh, in yeah. the Rome, in the Roma-Juve game. Yeah. Done. Tor- Torres ACL. Done for the season. And Time is on his side, though. It's January. You're talking six, seven months. It's, it's doable for him to be back for the start of next season. Okay, I'm thinking a little more on the international sense right now. He he proved himself this past summer to be maybe Italy's best player. Oh yeah, the playoff. Oh <sighs> yeah, oh yeah, that thing. Sorry. And then a World Cup. Ooh. Well, the World Cup he'll make and he'll make comfortably, I believe. I'm not I'm not a doctor, but I think he will. And the nature of that injury now in the modern uh, technology. But you're right. They're Italy, not good. Not having him for the playoff. Not good. Not good, my friend. 
Where were we at? You have a man of the match. I have. I, I, yeah. I digressed. Uh, it's obvious who my man of the match is. Wes Houlihan. Uh, Cambridge is uh, f- almost 40. He turns 40 in May, uh, midfielder. But there's there's probably in those, what, 20 years of playing, actually longer in his case, this weekend's third round win over Newcastle would be up there with his career highlights. Uh, he was at it again on Tuesday night, assisting with a beautiful outside-of-the-foot cross to beat Portsmouth and help Cambridge's survival effort. I was listening to Cambridge supporter and Guardian Football Weekly host Max Rushton talk about Houlihan on a podcast recently, and he claimed that part of the reason Houlihan is at, is at Cambridge is simply because it's close to his house. <laughs> it, he, came, he went to Australia, it didn't work out, came back. He obviously played all that time at Norwich, and Cambridge was just a really good option for him. Um, just to keep playing. Um, this is Max Rushton, who was, this was from his preview of Newcastle and Cambridge. Wes Hoolan is almost 40 and only plays Saturdays, yet he is the first midfielder I can remember who actually wants the ball from our central defenders, taking it in tight spaces, wriggling out of them and dictating play. It's not overstating things to suggest he'll be the most naturally gifted player on the pitch. There were times against Newcastle when he came up against Joe Linton, who was not really a midfielder, and Shelby and whoever else you wanted, Longstaff, and he looked miles better than him, <laughs> technically and every other way. Um, so, yeah, about to turn 40, and, you know, it was such a weird juxtaposition. Kieran Trippier, you know, just thrown into the Newcastle team. Which, by the way, I would say I would say that is a good signing for them. Um, it is... He becomes their most expensive player immediately. He's on the most amount of wages, doubling his wages from Atleti, which is, for a 31-year-old, is, you know, it goes to show Newcastle money is no object right now, guys. Right. Um, wouldn't have happened under Mike well, Ashley. What did they just pay for Chris Wood? $25 million? I, Did they really? Oh, my God. You talk about, I mean, we can talk about Kieran Trippi. He's a, an England international starter for Atletico Madrid. Chris Wood, $25 million? Yeah, that's, that's, that's insane. But the juxtaposition between uh, that money and, and clearly Trippier moving for the money to go to that club and Wes Houlihan just playing for the club that's closest to his home and just to prolong his career. Unbelievable. Um, Wes, he turns 40 in May. Wow. Happy birthday. That's crazy. So there you go. What a podcast. There was even things that we didn't get to. I mean, Philip Coutinho plays for Aston Villa now. Yes, he, <laughs> like, he, he does. We will definitely get to that on our next podcast when the, the Premier League returns this weekend. Villa plays Manchester United, so I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. This is a big weekend in the Premier League. I mentioned that one. Your weekend gets kicked off with Man City and Chelsea, which is, I mean, a kind of a, a title decider for... Uh, for Chelsea, certainly, if you know, we like we spoke with Guy earlier in the show. He's not necessarily willing to concede just yet, but he kind of is. But though. but if that one goes the way that we think it might, then you kind of are left with no choice. Um, the uh, the Spanish Supercopa, the the final is Sunday. Real Madrid awaiting their winner, and then it, it suddenly, I mean, look, a North London derby is always important. But Tottenham coming off a couple really disappointing uh, defeats to Chelsea in a semi final. Arsenal going out of the FA Cup. Kind of two teams hitting each other where it's another one of these Tottenham-Arsenal matches, just like earlier in the season, where whoever loses this is going to be in a really dark place. Uh, that's always the case with a loser, but like more so, uh, I think, coming out of this one. That's how your weekend will end. That's the Sunday 11.30 game. Um, 
So lots of stuff. Lots, always lots. The football is officially going on forever. This was great, man. I enjoyed this thoroughly. I hope all of you out there did as well. Feel free to rate and review the podcast should you see fit. You oh. can In your review, you can destroy us, but if you still give us the five stars, then it's all good. <laughs> By the way, you can rate on Spotify now. Yeah. So check that yeah. out. I heard that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It helps. It all helps. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 